And then uh, Josh is telling Russell about the 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 post recording clap. We also need oh, to yes. do <laughs> the second clap. Can't forget One the second case clap. Of cla- you know what's confusing? I always thought the clap was chlamydia. I'm pretty sure the clap is gonorrhea. I think so. I think it is gonorrhea. I always I know, thought it was like, any uh, sexually transmitted. You thought the crabs were the clap? No, they I just thought the clap. I, any STD was called the clap. Interesting. I went to public schools in Tennessee. <laughs> we didn't have sex education. You barely Did had you education. Not? That's true. Not that Indiana is much better. Was there, but... was there sex ed in no. Tennessee or Indiana? Yeah, we took out 45 minutes uh, one day during fifth grade and <laughs> learned everything you need to know. Wow, really? Yeah. We did. There was like a, a fifth or sixth grade. There was about a week of it. There was like a special or like a couple oh. of days especially what? devoted to it. Yeah, no, I was like. And then in seventh or eighth grade, we did another round of it. And then I took a health class freshman or sophomore year of high school, which further did it. So I had seen pictures of all kinds of warts and crabs. Okay. Did you put a condom on a banana? No, I would have been mortified (laughs) to do that. I was, I was the shy kid in a lot of ways. Sometimes I would be a cat a class clown but that was more in my honors classes where all the kids around me were nerds <laughs> and i was i was like the smart cool kid mm-hmm. and just with all these nerds and so i was like well I, I can i can be pretty cool in this room but no amongst general population uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> i didn't want any any focus on me <laughs> at all tracks um all right we clapped we clapped yeah. sean you have yeah. you have to tell your face blindness story this time Oh, it's yeah. been like it's been like two months. It's been so long I barely remember it. Alright. <coughs> me, 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 me. Um You guys are ready to start, right? Yeah. That's what I was doing. I was about to start. I know Josh can't start the show because no. we have a guest here. No, or no, <laughs> I feel so awkward. <laughs> I'll never understand this. <laughs> the secret is we already started the show, because you're going to put all that other stuff in the beginning. That's the cold uh, open. There might, there might be. That's a long cold open. <laughs> might squeak, might squeak like one little thing in there. But This yeah. is like the, like the Departed. Or what did I watch? I watched something a couple weeks ago that had like a 15 minute before the title drop. Uh, I know you put them uh, all the on fri- your Instagram. The Friday, I, the, yeah. the Friday the 13th remake? <laughs> no. Although, You're never gonna let that go. Everything, everywhere, all at once. No, it's it's been too long for that. Mandy, one. does Mandy have a long time before the title drop? Or are you just naming shit that I like? No, I do believe Mandy has like a forty minute title card or okay. something like that. Huh. Was it Vortex? <sighs> Did it have all the credits at the beginning? Ugh, I can't wait to talk wait about to, this, it's, guys. <laughs> That was like half my notes. It was just <laughs> <laughs> the credits. 
I can't read these. What language is this? All right, do the thing, go. John. Do it. Hello, welcome to Nashville CA. This is your double-featured, double-weekly podcast hosted by one guy in Nashville, Josh over there, and one guy in California, Sean over here. And this week, we are joined by our returning guest, third time on the show. I think it's a record set. We have our friend Russell. Hi, Josh. Hi, Russell. How are you? Great. I didn't realize I was setting a record. This is my third time on the show. I always forget that special in-person episode was a real episode. That nope recording. Yeah, it mm-hmm. slips my mind, too. That nope was a real yep. Well, it's nice like to be apo- on your show. <laughs> I'd like to apologize <laughs> formally. <gasps> oh. uh, so on today's episode, Russell, we asked you to uh, pick a movie, and you chose Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Inspired by our previous episode, conversation. I was going to pick a different movie if I came back on, because I was trying to think of something gay. And, you know, actually, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is pretty gay. <laughs> Wait, what... It was in our Sound of Music conversation that made you think of this? No, you guys were talking about possibly doing a Valentine's month mm-hmm. of love gone wrong. And I was like, oh, oh that's yeah. the classic. These people love each other and hate each other. Oh. And uh, so to pair that, I had not seen Vortex, but I had meant to because I'm... I have a complicated relationship with Gaspar No, and after today, it just gets a little more complicated. <laughs> but um, so I chose Vortex to be our pairing because um, Russell, you said I asked you what you key in on, and you said basically like the relationship, the confrontation of aging, were two of the big themes in Virginia Woolf, and so that's what I chose mm-hmm. for why we chose Vortex, and I think. As we normally do to start dark and go light, we, we, <laughs> we don't have that option. Right? There's like, well, you thought vortex was I, the less dark one. Okay, listen. Oh man, it, I at least Virginia Wolf is entertaining. It is fun. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> It's like, yes, I know, it's like a complete implosion of two people as they spray acid all over each other and try to, like, chop each other down at the knees. But it's still a pretty good time, especially compared to Vortex, (laughs) which is not fun. Josh, what do you think? Uh, I'm in complete agreement because, although this, this could just be, like, hard to watch theater. That's that's the theme for the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So to start, we'll do Vortex, directed by Gaspar No, who I've said before, I I think Enter the Void is an incredible movie. Irreversible is a movie that I think is pretty amazing and I never want to watch it again. Uh Climax has some of the coolest camera uh, camera choreography. I've seen in a long time, but that movie's nuts. Um, this guy, every single one of this guy's movies is a challenge. And but in the past, when I've watched his movies, they're challenging because they are like a brutal assault of the senses mm. and violence and 
flashing images and loud music. And this is like, he went so far 180 going full minimalist. Outside of the, like the two camera aspect, mm. there's really like nothing going on in this movie. No. No, the issue I have with it, it really leans into realism. At every moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, a person, if they were had dementia or other mental illness of this type, they probably would sort of putter around their apartment for three or four hours. That's very realistic. Does it inform me much about the character? No. Does it make me really feel much about the character? No. Does it make me think much? Not really. I don't know. I feel like that really kneecaps it for me. It's so uh, realistic. What about there, like the editorial flourish of putting that, um, was it Francois Hardy um, song at the beginning? That part, that right? I love the opening of this movie. Okay. Yeah. So when I first started this movie, I've talked about not watching, about watching Stargate without subtitles. Yes. <laughs> well, today, what happened was <laughs> I hit play on the movie. And we get those striking like title cards. And Gaspar Noe always has really cool title cards. And he likes to front load his movies with all of it, all of that shit at the beginning, kind of in that old-timey Hollywood way, mm-hmm. so that when his movies end, it, it, it kind of leaves me feeling breathless sometimes because there's not that chance to breathe through those end title cards. Yeah. The screen just goes black, and you're just, like, sucked out of the movie. But... It was silent, and I'm like, okay, well, it's just a silent title thing, and then it keeps being silent, and I see an exterior shot, I'm like, oh, this is artsy for Gaspar, but I know I know Gaspar, he's an artsy <laughs> guy, and then it continues to be silent, and then these two people are talking, and they're having a conversation, but it's subtitled, so I'm like, well, this is just, <laughs> this is interesting, I wonder if this is like a commentary on... <laughs> dementia and like the the distance that it creates between us mm. and then i was like oh no i was listening to the bluetooth setting on my <laughs> yep. speaker system last night listening to music on my phone <laughs> and i had never turned it back to tv mode <laughs> which leads to my face blindness story from a few weeks ago yay there's a guy who works nearby here I'll change his name, just, it's, it's, he's not guilty, but I'll say it's Steve. And so Steve comes in before he goes to bartend at another bar, and he sits down, and he has a beer or two, and then he goes off to his shift. And he's in pretty frequently, and then one day, I'm, I'm sitting at the bar talking to someone, I look over, and this guy walks in, and he has a um, different haircut, like, Steve's Steve has like a real slick back hair and this guy just kind of had like messy hair and this guy was about 25 pounds heavier and um but it's interesting and so I, I was just kind of fascinated by this and this man leaves has about one beer two beers and leaves and I say to my bartender friend here I say you know that looks like Steve if he is about five years older and 25 pounds heavier yeah. And she said, that was Steve. <laughs> That's not just face blindness, Sean. That is like entire person blindness. <laughs> and I don't know what's wrong with me. And the like fact body that you transformation. Thought, 
Yes, you have body dysmorphia for other people. I <laughs> and he's he's five years um, so, older too. I like that. <laughs> it's just I I that slick back hair really does a lot for uh-huh. him. I guess. I guess that's true. So um, yeah, sorry to derail it, uh, Russell. You talking about the the abundance of realism in this movie? Have either of you seen? Uh, Jean Dielman, Twenty Three Avenue, whatever, whatever that movie. Quai du Commerce, etc., etc. Something like yeah. that, yeah, that kind of thing. I have not. Um, I meant to see it when it was at the Bell Court. I'm sure I would like it because I generally like slow cinema, which is why I felt so primed for this movie. I saw this at the Bell Court too, and I was like, oh, I saw the previews. I'm like, this is about death. I never stop thinking about death. It's an existential horror movie. It's going to be slow and French. And I don't know. That just didn't connect with me. On paper, uh, as I was watching this too, I was like, oh man, this is so up your alley. Because you do like slow cinema and stuff. But... And it's it's also hard because I think the performances are really good. But I also can't tell because they're in a foreign language. And Mm. I think... All performances are good when they're done in a foreign language. It is hard to because I I'll, find the nuance. It's hard to like read a stilted line when I don't speak French. Right. Well, and then you've got Dario Argento, who's an Italian speaking French. Yes, who apparently like, learned fluency in French enough to be in this movie. That's that did perplex me. Yeah, that's wild. It does really work for his character, though, because he's always sort mm-hmm. of searching for the words that he needs, which feels like that guy would anyway. So, you know, I feel like he gives a good performance like everyone else. Um, so, yeah, he's writing a book about dreams and films, right? Yeah. It sounds like very much like a Josh thing. <laughs> and the talk about like um, later someone says like all films are dreams and the dreamer is awake. And all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. There's a lot of stuff here where I'm like, I, I wish we would have dug in more to this, or we would have seen this couple as a couple, even mm-hmm. just like two years prior in the story, to set us up with some love, so mm-hmm. that way the fall from that love and from that grace feels more. It just... Or if we had just... Like, the first, the fir- the first shot of the movie is like, the I don't know their names. The wife character, like gripping his arm in bed, and she looks terrified. Yeah. And it's just like that. Just kind of sets the tone for the whole movie, but it's just kind of empty. Yeah, we never learn anything about this woman. We're never given any insight to her character or how she sees the world beyond being afraid of it. She is very much a prop. She is walking dementia or. Alzheimer's or whatever her disease is. She like I wrote down this movie feels very much like an after school special. Because we have a drug addict son and the woman who is just her disease and the people around her who are struggling and that's who the story is really about. But I wrote that this movie is like skin a rink because nothing <laughs> happens. But our characters are always in frame in this movie. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I wrote a couple comparisons there too. 
like I compared it to Skin and Rink and also After Sun, which are also these movies that where you feel like something bad could happen at every time. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this is what this movie could be. Like, you could feel this woman's dread if it was doing that. It's not trying to do that, you know, to its credit, but it just picks like these, I feel like the most basic dangers that she could face. Like, what if she left the gas on? What if she turned a fire on? What if someone fell down? Like, I don't feel, these aren't inspiring anything new to me in this conversation. It kind of made me think of the whale. It's like a shallow Mm. examination of, like, a medical condition, which is, like, just overwrought. I don't know. I I didn't like the whale, and I didn't like this one very (laughs) much either. And I'm just really surprised because it's like, I I appreciate that Gaspar toned this one down, because I did not just need to see, like, a level of his, like, gnarly fucked up movies with these two old people. But he toned it down so far that he just like stripped this of of like any life whatsoever, and even the stuff that I wish would have maybe brought something into it. Like there's that subplot with the dad who has a girlfriend on the side. It's very interesting. Or or the son, but there's just nothing there. The son happens to smoke heroin, yeah. but what it's like. It's just a bunch of things that just kind of are just kind of are there. And I feel like the only no-isms are like the one super edgy moment where the guy does drugs in front of his child and the mom reaches her head into a shitty toilet. Isn't this so dark? Yeah, that part was not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and isn't that the only um like non-diegetic music? in the movie as well. It's like, yeah, that pretty little sequence. Much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's apart from like when Dario Argento watches a more interesting movie for a minute. I'm like, Hey, something's happening. Okay. So that I thought was really effective. And for me, it might've mm-hmm. been the most effective moment of the movie because he's watching vampire and mm-hmm. it's of the scene of somebody being screwed into a coffin, uh, mm-hmm. as his wife wanders around and like the, just the visual of those two things happening side by side really worked. And I was like, Oh, it's going to be very poetic throughout mm-hmm. the rest of this film, but it's not, it's very f- uh, flat affect, like deadpan through the rest of the film. Yeah. And that moment is also maybe the only thing that connects to like dreams within dreams or movies or dreams, or we are the dreamer that lives in the dream. That, that felt like lip service. Like, absolutely. Hey, Hey, there's some there's some really cool ideas out there about films, right, guys? <laughs> yeah, it it's it's a presentation of like many different paths that the movie's like, well, we could have gone down that way, but we're not gonna yeah. We could have gone this way, but we're not gonna do that either. And it's like, well, movie, you have to do something. You can't just you can't also be two hours and twenty minutes it's so long. of nothing. That was the other thing. I was like, if this was 85, 90 minutes, I probably would have been a lot more forgiving of it. But it's long. Yeah. It takes 43 minutes before a real scene happens between any character. So I really don't like realism, quote unquote, in movies. Mm -hmm. I think even I have watched like the first half or so of John Dielman. Um, 
and only because I got really tired and, you know, because I watched it late at night. Um, it's so bad. It What? Jean Dielman is so bad. It's, it was, what? I watched it in college and it was one of the longest experiences of my life oh. watching that fucking movie. You watch a woman start to finish make a veal. She <laughs> takes the veal out of the fridge, uh, yeah. pounds it yeah. with a mallet. Her name is Julia Child and I do it every eggs, Sunday. Mixes flour in, <laughs> does that, dips it in there, puts it in the pan. I'm just, <laughs> I, I was tearing my hair out. Also, I was a cigarette smoker at the time well. with a pretty good like hour timer. <laughs> As far as like, it's been an hour, it's been an hour, time to, time to go. And so sitting in this classroom auditorium, oh, that's a bad experience. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. So the, the framing and the composition and the, like the, the use of depth in John Dielman, I feel like it is imparting something. Whereas if you have just this free-floating camera that's just constantly kind of swirling around your subjects... I don't feel like you're 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 not doing all that much, you know. Hey, but it blinks in and out anytime the uh, shot cuts, the different shot. So and what about that? I like <sighs> I, I I like I liked the blinking. I I actually felt like I really liked it in theater. It established it, it made like a nice rhythm mm-hmm. to the edit. The 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 blinks. I I I actually settled into that one. What overall did you guys think of the like the one? gimmick that the movie normally gaspar does like a lot of camera gimmicks and like moving cameras and long shots and all sorts of stuff and in this one the only gimmick we really get is just the the split screen presentation did you think it was used for good effect at times how would you have preferred to have seen it anything like that i think it's used beautifully at times when they open new scenes with the two characters basically in the same pose in two different places, it works fantastically. I think those, like, there are beautiful shots in this movie, and it's mainly those. But I think it basically starts breaking the rule in the middle and gets very muddled and is essentially useless until the dad dies. Um, I think the there is a shot uh, where he, when he falls down and the camera kind of moves uh, and they're almost mirror images of each other as she's sleeping in bed and he's lying there on the floor, like groaning and clutching at his chest. Um, that, and this might just be because I just watched it. I don't have like a real good read on what it, that might've been trying to say or trying to do, uh, other than like, Hey, here's kind of a neat symmetry, you know, like in the, in the first staff, it really feels like, because it separates them in their moments, like, Right, oh, she is not separated from him, but then they start using half the shot for the sun is in here, and sometimes she's in both, and then the sun is just the sun and the dad are both in there, and it's I don't quite know what it's saying after a certain point. Um, it reminded me of there's a shot in Requiem for a Dream where Jennifer Connelly and Jared Leto are in bed together. <laughs> And Aronofsky does this like weird split screen and it creates distance between these characters who are like literally hugging each other. And there's one shot in this that I really loved that used that split screen. And it's um, when that monster of a child is banging cars on the table. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's also just known as a child, it, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> monster. <Yeah. laughs> um, so... 
Argento's on the left, and his wife is across the table from him with his son. And there's a shot where Argento's reaching across the table for her, but his hands are cut off. And so it's like he's reaching into the void, but he's reaching for nothing. And then on her side, it's just a pair of disembodied hands Mm. trying to grab her, and she doesn't know who these hands belong to. And that was like a really beautiful shot that I'm probably reading more into than maybe director saw into it. But that was a moment that really, really worked for me. I agree. And that's also the moment where he's being the most like performative in his connection with her. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's yeah. really effective in that way. Of course, earlier in that scene, there's a moment where he reaches across and his arms connect with his arms on the other side. And it looks like he has really, really long arms, which is fun. Um, I did like anytime they used it as basically a two shot and characters aren't looking at each other. Mm -hmm. Like it, it breaks the spatial continuity that you're used to. Um, and I think there is a moment when the three of them are sitting in the whole, the whole house looks like a library because there's books everywhere. We can't, I can't even get started on the amount of anxiety I felt, not because of the performers or what was happening, yeah. but just because of the, the tightness of that house. Yeah. Um, Much like the house in uh very Virginia Wolf, it looks like a dump and there's junk stuffed everywhere. Yes. <laughs> These places give me such anxiety. Yeah. Uh, but there's, a, I thought a cool usage of it with, um, it was his Stefan looking at the dad and, mm-hmm. Like they're actually confronting each other, and he, the dad says, "Like we're talking from our souls." Like I thought that was kind of a cool usage of it. Um, There's a really good usage of it when on one of the scene resets. I feel like it's maybe it's I don't know if it's right after she throws this stuff away, or maybe just after the first confrontation scene they have with the son, where mm-hmm. he's like sitting very sadly, and she's framed and lit in such a way that she almost looks monstrous. And so it feels like you're getting Dario Argento's view of what his wife has become in that moment. She's like underlit and from the side, and she sort of just looks sitting almost in a menacing way. I thought that was a really cool opening. Um, there were some shots with her where the color temperature was totally different. And I think that was one of them where it was like almost mm-hmm. a golden mm-hmm. uh, light where everything else is kind of a colder, flatter light. Yeah. So- is it the cynicism in his performance that I just wanted more moments of love in this, I guess, or like more moments like that genuine one where you talk about like talking with his son and like, this is the first time we've ever spoken or whatever. I just, if the movie had been more of that and less pottering around the house, I maybe would have been into it. Or but... more of what it is already. I feel like one of the more interesting parts of the movie is that this is all going on and he's still trying to pursue this affair and he and his book like does and doesn't care. Like I feel like that's interesting. That's a complicated character in the face of all this that's going on. And as hard as it is to have it drive him more away, it would be interesting to see. But it's just we're not diving full focus into anything. If there's no chance anyone gives a shit about that book, right? No. <laughs> the one that ended up in the toilet, that's that's no loss <laughs> no. to the world. The two pages of notes he had made that 
<laughs> I've got a title. Easy to replace. My masterpiece. He, he has a title and an epigraph. Like, uh. that's it. <laughs> uh, the going along with like not really prizing realism in movies. Um, I really appreciate melodrama. Like mm-hmm. what we get in the other movie, the like, yeah, we're, we're going to spill out everything onto the table or even like something like this. I feel like could have been like, uh, like a Douglas Sirk film, right? Like you have this, mm-hmm. this aging couple it would have been really interesting to have them actually have these moments where uh, he, his uh, his infidelity or whatever it is is more of an issue or it comes to light mm-hmm. or there's some sort of basically I wanted some sort of drama to happen, some yeah. sort of conflict <laughs> other than just watching this movie? for two hours. Yes. <laughs> what do you call Douglas Sirk on a trapeze? I, I don't know. Douglas Sirk de Soleil. <laughs> There you go. Now, don't <laughs> sync with these claps, on. This is me clapping for that joke. <laughs> I don't think you're picking, you're clapping loud enough for that to go, okay, over, okay. go over the no, gate. No, I barely heard you at the end. Okay. No, I'm, I'm, ask, I'm telling you, could you clap a little louder <laughs> here, so that way people here, can that's, hear? That's for you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, and then, like, as we're kind of moving on, you know, she leaves the gas on the stove, she puts things in the toilet, and the son wants to move them both into assisted living, and they're both hoarders, so that terrifies both of them, because dad's like, I'd have to throw away my books, and... And magazines and I, I film papers. Like, dude, when's the last time, when's the last time you read any of this shit, man? Come on now. You know about JSTOR? I feel like if someone just introduced this man to a digital library, it could really change his no, life. No, to be fair, it is the mom's idea. She's not afraid of it. She's the one who tells the son about it. Well, it's interesting how she kind of slips into lucidity, where we haven't, yeah. we haven't seen her lucid like all movie, and she's almost to the point of being mute. And then all of a sudden, we have this one scene with the son, and, and she's like fully speaking in sentences and it kind of comes out of nowhere. They do justify that in that scene. Also that they finally justify that Dario Gentar is Italian in that scene as well. Dad's Italian and he yells. So that's why, but yeah, I thought she in that scene was very, I recognized her very much, but she's like, Oh, this would be better if I was dead. That is very much an old grandma thing. Mm hmm. Like, uh, well, I'm very sorry for me, and if I was dead, it wouldn't be a problem. I wouldn't be a burden on you anymore. Right. See, I think those scenes are probably the best parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, when it's those three and the sun. Um, what about the, uh, the, sh- for me, a very shocking recognition of France's, um, I guess social welfare programs where they mm-hmm. hand out needle kits uh, I love and that pipes. Scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, I want, I want to see the son at this job or whatever it is that he does, and the two guys who are standing next to the door. Like, mm-hmm. what's, 
what do they talk about? What do they get into? What is their whole thing? Like, yeah. that seemed like a dramatic path we could have gone down. And, and that would have been a great movie for a second. Probably yeah. is. <laughs> the recovering addict. I, I was waiting in that scene. I was, I was just like, okay, is this where the bad thing's going to mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. in this movie? Is this where it's going to be? Is the sun going to get attacked or something? But no, every. All the addicts who are getting their needles seem to be very polite and pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and everything was cool Imagine down that there. If you treat them as another human. chance for this movie to like to do something, <laughs> and it just well, it does develop the drug addict storyline, which is right. Okay, why is that here? That's not really what this sun. is about. I know, but it's like that's not a it's not a character arc no. to tell me he works at a place. That does needle, and then to have him smoke like that. It okay. could be in its own movie. That wasn't that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Yeah. I, maybe if that was presented like earlier right. on in the story, so that way I would have this through line of like, oh, this son is dealing all with all this stuff with both of his parents, mm-hmm. and he's on heroin. Like I, I would have been able to maybe dig for some depth in a character that otherwise it's not quite mm-hmm. there. He had really cool rings. Yes. I, I, I liked his rings. his whole thing. I was kind of like... He yeah, was kind of hot. Yeah. Yeah. He had a cool... He, he had, had a cool little bit of jacket. Frankenstein face, but... <laughs> like Matt Smith. Which can be hot. Um, another interesting movie that could have been was... Dear- uh, when the dad sees his girlfriend at the mm-hmm. party. The dinner party. And he says to her... He's still in love with her. He misses her kindness and her tenderness. And that whole idea of regret at the end mm-hmm. of life and like unrequited love or choosing the wrong partner and stuff. That would be a really interesting mm-hmm. movie. Especially um, since we have that earlier scene where he and the dad, the dad and the son talk about his affair because clearly the son knows all about it. Because he's a bad child anyway. The dad didn't hide that from him, apparently. And he's like, we traveled the world and I was in love with her. We don't, we know nothing about the story of how he ended up with his wife or what's going on there. This missed connection. Um, the, the movie that that, uh, not in the watching it, but that it brought to mind when you were talking about it, Sean, was, um, I believe Natural Enemies uh, is the name of it with um, Hal Holbrook, where the oh, plot of the movie from the this beginning. This is Eli's movie to keep. Yeah, this up. is Eli's movie. Yes. I have this uh, on my list to watch this year. Oh my God. It is such. Uh, imagine this movie, but with the threat of violent death hanging over it. And not just the threat. The, the, the beginning, someone says, I'm going to kill my family. And like pulls out the gun and then the rest of the movie, you're just waiting for that shoe to drop. Like you have that propulsion behind everything in the movie. It, it turns it into, into an entirely different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there is, I feel like there's more poetic discussions about what does it mean to face the drudgery of everyday American life or French life or what have you. Um, hey, well, if there's even one, there'd be more than <laughs> That's an excellent point. <laughs> uh, I, does she watch? Does she watch Deadliest Catch? I think she watches the Crab Show. I'm, 
Yes. I'm pretty sure she and I could just hang out and watch Deadliest Catch together. I used to really like that show. There was a while there where, like, Deadliest Catch was more documentary than reality yeah. show. Like, in its first mm-hmm. couple of years. It was, like, legitimately compelling TV. And then Discovery Channel turned it into a full-blown, like, scripted reality show. And it, 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 it got real <laughs> dumb. But... Crabs are cool. I think cool. she's just watching a my YouTube video. My friend who I hike with. Of, ju- of just crabs. My friend who I hike with, I got yeah. a fishing rod for crabs. Oh, that's cool. You put like a crab trap on the back of it, and it's like a 10-foot rod, and it's really thick, and it's, so it's like an 80-pound test line or something, so you can like cast a whole crab pot Lord. out from the shore. And so he's going to go crab fishing. Push crab, that sounds uh, they call that the clap. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> Uh Sorry, I, there's an air raid siren in town that goes off whenever the firefighters are up to stuff. So I had to check the, <laughs> the app to see what they're up to. And it just says investigation, which is a new one. I don't know what that means, but they're on it, apparently. Fireman investigation. Sound the air siren. Oh, you know what I bet it is? I bet it's an old woman whose husband just died. And oh. She's decided that it's time to just stop being a burden, and so there's a carbon monoxide alarm going off somewhere in town. Mm-hmm. That's dark, Sean. Probably right. It is a little dark. What do we think about this ending here? With like what the the moment with the dad in the hospital bed, and how his with the breathing tubes and everything and how he becomes overexposed. And then we get that green color. I, th- I thought it was an interesting fade to, to color there. It was cool. It goes to the, I love Lucy background, sort of like a satin sheet. Uh, I really thought like, cause you know, from the beginning, what's going to, what their fates are. You don't know how yeah. they're going to get there. Um, I didn't know both of them were going to die. I mean, once like the dad's heart stuff really started mm-hmm. to kick in, I thought this was more of a dementia story. I do think it would have been more effective than... if he had died and she had like just not noticed and stepped over him and went puttering around. The That's what I thought was going to happen. I was, I, was, I was worried she was not going to be able to like cope with that. And it was, it was I, I thought she was going to like die of dehydration or something. And again, yeah. and, like... A gnarly Gaspar, no way. But he decided. He decided not to, do to that. let her do some Catholic prayers and pull a sheet over her face. I love a good sheet over sure. the face. Three sheets to the wind. <laughs> is is that how you like decide decide to pass away? Is just you pull a sheet over your face? Yeah. You ready, lays on. Yeah. Uh. Did you notice earlier when the son and and father were talking and the dad's like, maybe I'll just kill myself. And then they laugh. <laughs> it's a, just a really dark moment. Uh, That's just French. That, yeah, it's just. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Ennui. This movie really coasts along on its Frenchness. If this was American, it would be so everyone would admit it was boring and nothing <laughs> interesting is brought up. by it. 
No, I did get there was one emotional moment in this movie mm-hmm. for me. And it was uh after the dad dies when they're in the hallway and mm-hmm. the son sits on the bench and puts his feet up and puts his head in his mom's lap and it's just they just went back in time forty years and now he's a little boy yeah. being comforted as she sings a little song to him. The and most that, tuneless song possible. That, that, yeah, <laughs> I know there it wasn't much of a song, but that yeah. felt that felt real and like in a, a powerful yeah. way. So, you know, and I just I think it's overall it's like I I would not say this is a bad movie. It's like it's well made and I think it's well yeah. acted. It's, it's just it's one of my biggest disappointments. And bland. Year. You guys talked about that in your top ten. This yeah. was a huge disappointment for me. It has so much potential. And you saw this in the theater, too, so you I really gave yeah. it a shot, huh? Yeah. It has such a nothing ending. Well, y'all, y'all, got, y'all got anything else for Vortex? Should we move on to ratings? Homes are for uh, the living, Sean. Homes are what for the living. a terrible final line. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sean. I don't like... I don't like those mausoleums like that with like a ATM or like a post PO box style <laughs> post office. <laughs> like everyone gets their own little cubby hole. Like, especially if one is cremated. Yeah. Why are you getting an urn? I don't and understand not urns. If, if you're cremated, people should just spread your ashes and be or done. Or at least be it. on the mantle. Don't, don't put it in a box. Don't put me any, don't put me on a mantle or in one of those mausoleum boxes. I don't need to stay You're around. going on the mantle like, at the bar shop. No, don't put me on the mantle. Nobody puts baby on the mantelpiece, okay? What, Josh? Uh, you've been trying to to get me to watch a Gaspar No film here for a while, and this was and then, uh, this is not a Gaspar. This no was your movie. shot across the bow for for that particular endeavor, and uh, it's it's not a great it's not a great leading. Yeah. Leading the charge there. Well, you know you just cursed yourself, right? Because now I'm like determined to get you to watch Enter the Void. At least it's that a one. A movie that I find a movie that I find physically hard to watch, and not not only due to the content, but just the camera movements itself are slightly motion sickness mm. inducing. Um have we talked about the fact that uh my ex-girlfriend reached out she's only we've only talked like twice since we broke up and she reached out to tell me to watch climax like i feel like you have talked about that before it i don't know i don't remember it so go ahead and tell the story that's the story i'm just really curious as to what the hell that means (laughs) like maybe you told me this in person i I might have yeah climax i think you would really appreciate the first 30 minutes of climax and then just as like a filmmaking aspect and choreography and um er, er, like just all the technical stuff and then after that you could probably turn (laughs) it off josh and that would probably be all right um what do we think about this this was gaspar no trying to do lars von trier and lars von failing Oh. Yeah, this 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 felt like he was trying to 
make a mature movie that go that like went against his nature or, or like oh people say i'm a hack who only does like exploitative like crazy movies mm-hmm. well i'll show them with this like stripped down minimalist thing and it's like eh, go back to your crazy shit man oh, let's watch mm-hmm. that again um i i'm gonna give this one a two and a half. I feel like this one sits right in that middle ground for me around like, I appreciate some aspects of it, and there were good things about it, but overall, it I, I just had very little response to this movie. Um, I'm gonna go a little harsher and go with a two, because my two and a half is like, yeah, I would watch that again. Like, if it's around, I'm not going to seek it out, but mm. uh, two and a half is, like, not a recommend it to somebody else, but it might be okay for me. This does not reach that that particular bar, so it's, like, in the two, one and a half to two range. It's, yeah, not not a fan. Yeah. It didn't even make me feel bad. I wanted it to make me feel shitty. Like, yes. I thought I was, I I was going to be crushed it. by yes. this movie, and I... I wasn't crushed by this movie. Yeah, I think I'm in the same range as Josh. I think when I first watched this, it, it's probably on my letterbox, two and a half. I think it mm-hmm. really just has come down to a two. That's two for the filmmaking and the acting and some of the shots and stuff in it, but there's just so little there. If you really want to see a movie where Dario Argento takes a shower, maybe it's a four for you, but <laughs> you know, that's about the only reason. It's, I feel like the the poster, like I'm, I just pulled it up on Letterboxd here to do my ratings, and uh, the poster shows them embracing. Yeah. Like, that's misleading. That makes yeah. you think it's going to be like this heart-rending film about, but it's really not. They're just like associated the entire time. The movie I wanted to watch. I haven't seen it since it came out, though, so I just kind of want to rewatch it. It was still as good as I remember when I was... What, 17 who knows yeah all right sean you look you look like you're deep in thought can i have a final thought about this movie please there are a couple of uh pictures in the funeral where dario argento and uh francois lebrun look like a pair of vampires (laughs) from like the 70s era (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i can see that Oh, that was my... Are they a couple in real life? I think they probably just met, because she was like a big French New Wave actress, and he was a big director. I didn't think so until I saw those photos it at could the have end, been. I don't and know. then I thought maybe maybe this is like a real-life experimental film where we get this famous horror movie director and his wife to go like experience their own horror mm-hmm. movie, or... Again, interest more interesting idea than what's actually on Oh, film. we skipped the whole best part of the movie, which is the very end, where it gets all skin and marink, and it's like their horrible, yes. scary house, and then all their life is packed up and sent away. Like, it makes you feel weird, because it has some weird music and these creepy, flat photos of their disgusting home. And then it it ends on a brick wall. Yeah. Just a random brick wall. Um, and I guess at the end, I don't know, the way the movie ends as it began with like essentially the same shot 
I guess to me was just like no telling us that this story will repeat. Mm -hmm. Memento Mori. It'll just keep going and repeating generation to generation. Maybe it's a really good movie, actually, now that I think about it with that flash shot. Wait a second. And a heart. Yeah. Give it a heart. I'm trying to find a cool way to transition to break for the next movie. Could you do the audio version of Split Screen? Yeah, can you do that, Sean? I want to know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly trying to think about how the fuck I would do Ooh, that. Oh, make one thing said in the left headphone and one thing said in the right headphone at the same time. I think I think I just invented stereo. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back, Jack. All right. So now that we've gotten the the dark, depressing movie out of the way, we're going to move to the heights of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I'm, uh, this one is really fun. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it's um, dark and you're watching people, I believe Sean said verbally eviscerate each other, something along those lines. Yeah. I, I believe I said spray acid on yes, each other. Yes. There we go. Very evocative. But verbally eviscerate is also mm-hmm. very on point. <laughs> um, so this is a good time. I'm telling you, this is a fun movie. It's a very fun movie. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I was having a ball after watching Vortex. Like this was. <laughs> Uh, this was such a a nice change of pace just to like have things happening and people <laughs> speaking sentences and like and like just, there's so much happening too in this movie and like the camera movements are cool and two of the performances are wonderful two others oh, we'll, we'll see hmm, I'm interesting but, um, to see what ooh. you think those are okay I would say uh, three of these are great, great and one of them is very bad I'd say I uh, know actually I'd I'd amend it to say three great one. We're eh. gonna have to rank our actors in this movie. Okay, this is this is interesting. Yeah. Um, but before we get to the actors, uh, Russell, I wanted to ask you if you had any insight as to the the stage play, uh, or Edward Albee in general, because I have no grounding other than this. Uh, this portrayal of this play actually this is the only oh, yeah. thing that i know of him of his yeah i read all kinds of albie in college he okay. i think this movie is so fun because it feels like its grounding should be realistic it's these people having a dinner party or you know just a, <laughs> having people over after another party in their home in their house but it's very weird they have all these mind games. He always has some sort of strange, not a gimmick, but a, you know, some lever he puts into all this stuff. There's one of his more famous plays is The Goat or Who is Sylvia, which is about a man who is having an affair with someone named Sylvia, who it turns out is a goat. And it's all played very straight. He has, oh, what's the other one called? There's another play he has that's set on a beach that these two people are, I think, stranded on and they meet two uh, human-sized talking lizards who are another couple, and they have 
couple dynamics, much like this movie. We always had something like that. But as for the stage play, I definitely have read it, and I don't remember it perfectly, but from what I understand, this is an almost word-for-word recreation of the stage play into the movie. They Mm -hmm. just, it all basically takes place in the living room. And this, I think, very smartly restages a lot of things to outside on the swing or in one room or another. And the very interesting ride out to the bar in the middle of the night. I can't believe this is Mike Nichols' debut movie. Right. That's this. This feels like such a confidently directed movie, and it, yeah, it absolutely feels like a stage adaptation. But sometimes in a movie, I think that is a detriment, and other times I love it. And in this case, I love it. it having that feeling like these actors are performing for the back row, yeah, as the cameras like right there next to them. So every everything's so big. And so pronounced and like the, the the body language and movement and everything. It's just, it's all bombastic and huge. Very fun. Yeah. I think that's what also brings in the strange elements of the fake story, real stories, mind games. They're all playing with, with each other, which is what changes this from something like some other 50s melodrama. That would just be a bunch of people arguing. It would be sort of boring and black and white. I've heard this. I never would have thought about it this way, but I read something about this, that this was like considered a new Hollywood sort of shot across the bow movie using Mm -hmm. these old Hollywood actors of uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. And it's, what do you think about it in that respect? It's very, it's a very interesting step up because this play, when it came out, they're like, you'll never be able to film this. And I think mostly it was because of the content. This was, Believe it or not, incredibly shocking at the time. All this talk of sex and dirty words and abortions and all these things. Um, Is it shocking at all, Sean? I don't know if you have any background with knowing about uh, Nichols and May. The fact that Mike Nichols came from a comedy background. Had, like, uh, award-winning albums, like... Grammy, I believe, Grammy award winning mm. comedy album, like four years before uh, this ever happened. No, I don't really know much about Mike Nichols at all. And looking at his filmography, I've seen The Graduate and Wolf. Did he do the Jack Nicholson? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That man, this man directed Jack Nicholson Wolf. That's that's a hell of a thing. What is that? I have no idea what that is. It's, it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's Jack Nicholson doing Jack Nicholson things. Yeah, James it's... Spader doing Spader things. To be fair, I Jack think Nicholson became kind of a hack after. <laughs> uh, I, although I do, I remember liking Primary Colors. Oh, he did Closer. Okay, I actually watched yes. Closer recently, and Primary Colors. I feel like I might have seen that one yeah, at some point when I was a kid. Um, in the wiki, I was interested to learn that uh, Nichols and May played George and Martha in, a, I think, a Broadway production of this at one point or another. Oh, really? Revival. Yeah. There's some very interesting casting in some of these. Um, Not the least of which was originally, I think, Jack Warner wanted to cast uh, Betty Davis and Peter O'Toole. Yes. 
So that Betty Davis could talk about the Betty Davis movie at the start of the yes. movie, which would have been a delight. Um, this has to be like one of the first, like you were saying, like New Hollywood, but meta building on, like on the bones of old Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's sort of using Broadway as a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of having its way with the, <laughs> with the corpse of old Hollywood, because, yeah. uh, in one of the behind the scenes things they were talking about uh how they were negotiating like you know talking about an abortion versus how many goddamns could you fit into the uh into the script and I was like, stunned to learn that I don't know Sean if you noticed this there's a very awkward moment near the beginning of the film when uh Elizabeth Taylor says goddamn you and it's clear it doesn't really match her mouth movement and I'm like oh obviously they it was supposed to be fuck you and they changed it. No, they replaced screw you, which was too dirty for the centers. So they replaced it with goddamn you. Oh, interesting. Cause I thought you were going to tell me that goddamn you was like what was initially shot, but then you can't blasphemy. No. So the, the MPA made them change that. Oh, mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh this, I can't imagine doing this play or getting to see this live. Like, oh yeah, this whole thing is. Uh, I mean, aside from the mouthfuls of <laughs> or the, people don't just talk; they orate, right? Like yeah. they stand and proclaim, but for minutes at a time, mm. and the bouncing back and forth between the between the characters, I think, is just amazing. Um, and it, it feels, this is kind of weird. This is a weird comparison, but to me, it feels like reservoir dogs. Like both movies are kind of stage bound, but they have these great performances. Uh, and it's all about the interplay between the characters, even though there might be some other kind of drama happening with, um, you know, and reservoir dogs, obviously, the heist that you never see in here, you have the him losing his tenure or whatever at the college. Um, and all of the drama that's happening from the other party that they came from, (laughs) because this doesn't even start to like one o'clock in the morning. Um, and they both just feel electric to me. So I don't know. They, they kind of win, uh, on that, on those credits. I feel like, um, yeah. So had you seen this before, Sean? Uh, yeah, someone had chosen this for a trusty Discord watch along. Oh yeah, I did that. For <laughs> I don't remember what. It was, was for that? Valentine's Day. I did a Love Hurts uh, marathon. Okay, I think I did. that was it. Um, so I watched. Yeah. Let's see. What did I see? I I remember seeing um, basically around the time that George and young guy go out to the swing to uh the part where George and Martha start fighting and uh young woman starts clapping yell screaming violence the best which is still <laughs> one of my favorite gifts that we have in the love- discord community <laughs> violence <laughs> and rewatching the movie i love how out of nowhere it is so many of her things she sort of sets up, but this moment she just loves violence. 
So she's she's one of my three great performances. She gives the best performance in this movie. Okay. She is incredible. And she's I was, not the it, main it took character me, in any it, way. It, it, she took me about 30 minutes, though, to like kind of catch mm-hmm. up with her and to really like latch onto her performance. Yeah. But especially in the second half, she's so strong. She plays drunk amazing. I, I don't remember what are what's the young couple's name? I am I just never even got their names. So his name is Nick, and they never say that in the play or the movie. And her name is, is honey. written as Honey. So we don't really know if that's her name or that's just him calling her honey the whole movie. I okay. love it. Yeah. On the subject of just, names, you will just also notice. referring to them as yeah. George Martha, girl boy, basically. Yeah. George and Martha mm-hmm. Washington. First couple. Oh, yeah. fun. <laughs> oh, Sandy Dennis was in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean? I did yeah, not realize that. It's been a long time since I've seen that. I haven't seen uh, it. Yeah, that's... I remember I really liked it when I was a teenager and I was going through a, like, um, American graffiti kind of mm. 50s era of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I say that the, the premise of this movie is a bit of a nightmare for me? The idea of going out mm. to a party... And like getting drunk and just that, that that comfort of like, oh, I'm home, the night's over, thank God. For someone to then tell me, oh, by the way, we're hosting two random people. And it's like, but <laughs> but I'm drunk and tired. Like this is do you know how this is gonna go? It's not gonna go well. You and I are very different people. My dream is to go to a party, get drunk be great and then come home and get to say the wittiest things in the world to people and tear down horrible, boring man and woman. Uh, I just so, feel so sleepy. Yeah, so you're not sleepy yet. You're still drunk. It's still fun to be had. That's true. It's when the drinking stops. That's when the sleepiness starts. Exactly. <laughs> you're a honey. See? The the amount of drinking in this movie is concerning. Yeah, it really is. This, this is a very, very drunk movie. Uh, I think it has to be to sort of justify the weird the things that people never leave or how mean they are to each other with people without really without really yeah. commenting on it. You know what sold me on how drunk these people are is when Martha takes a piece of cold fried chicken leg out of the fridge and just dumps some salt on it and it's just eating cold chicken straight out of the fridge oh yeah that's a real drunk move right there (laughs) oh my gosh there's some uh when do they start the uh referring to these um the earner actions as games did did I miss it early on, or is that only coming no, later? No, the... George really starts doing that at the bar. Okay, after he's really turned, I feel like that's his. He's gonna get everybody at this time. So now they're games, and they've already played. Uh, humiliate the host, so now he's gonna get the guests. Oh, that's right. They're gonna hump the hostess and play bringing it, baby. I don't Richard know why Burton the censors had a problem. 
<laughs> Richard Burton is my number two great performance in this He's movie. He's very good. He's helped He's much so by the good. script. I never realized this in earlier watches, but this is very much, the movie is very much on George's side. Mm-hmm. Which is why I sort of had have to ask the question if this whole movie is ultimately about punishing a woman for being ambitious and wanting things. I didn't feel like there was a protagonist to be found in this movie. Really? That's I, fair. I, I didn't I didn't see a side to be taken. This was just mutual self-destruction. I don't know. I feel like that's what it's going for, but I feel like by the end George is in control and he's punishing Martha at the end and she gets punished and that's the end of the movie. So, can I'll, I'll be honest, the 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 plot of this child that they've seemingly made up uh confused me it's supposed to what's i mean what do you what do you think is going on there it's because they're they're uh, they're infertile as a couple correct Mm -hmm. yeah and so at some point they just made up they just talk about this kid to like to role play yeah and then eventually they start using it against one another when Mm. Yeah, it's just supposed to be like their private. Like, did it start out as a as a comforting thing? Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, like back when the two of them were were sweet and mm-hmm. nice to each other and kind people. Russell, you've seen review all of the Andy Daly show, right? I have seen all of it. I don't remember all of it, but I've definitely seen it. Josh, have you? No, I have not. Well, I know a lot of the trustees are going to, they've been, we've been watching it, so I'm going to spoiler alert review, skip forward 30 seconds, starting now. This reminds me of the episode where Forrest is in prison, and he has an imaginary friend, and so he's playing with his friend, but then the other gang members take his friend over, and then at the very end, they shiv his imaginary friend, and Forrest is like holding this imaginary bloody corpse. I'm having memories of this. And yeah, that's essentially what happens. <laughs> and I think that's probably how sometimes it I can review. I can sit there sometimes and just by thinking of scenes from that show, start to make myself laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. There's not much like comedy. I find it hard to laugh aloud, laugh out loud, especially by myself. Yeah, I'm with you. But review does it for some mm-hmm. reason. Like it's just Andy Daly. It just perfect in that show ah when are we gonna turn this into a review podcast well i would have to start watching it yeah i guess when you start your we'll do each week we'll do one episode of review and one episode of carl pilkington and we'll just (laughs) switch this to just be a complete sean podcast or you just start your patreon and that's the ten dollar tier is the bonus show we can't ask people to pay for this. Sure you can. <laughs> this no. is America. <laughs> um, could could we do a Carl Pilkington and a How to with John Wilson? Yeah, I Ooh, love How to with John Wilson. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we would gain a lot of wisdom, a lot of very like kind of low key wisdom through that. Yeah. I agree. Um, 
I, I like the music overall in this. It's me too. Um, you know, we get that cool little <clears throat> chill guitar, acoustic guitar in the beginning, but the <clears throat> excuse me, the moment that really got me was when Martha's telling the story of the boxing match story mm. and how her dad wanted to box George and George refuses and basically calls him a coward. And then Martha puts on the glove and sucker punches him right in the chin and he lands in the huckleberry bush and like everyone's laughing hysterically and the music starts to swell and there's like this ominous swelling of music and this is where George gets the gun. The that rifle. part is a fantastic horror movie. It's great and yeah. her the look on her face when she turns around and sees the rifle pointed at her it it, it felt like something from like Psycho or something mm-hmm. like that. That whole build-up felt like a, like, indie, almost grindhouse 60s horror movie. Or, like, Target, something like that. I love the effect um, that has on her, too. That, when they ask her if she was scared later, she says, I can't remember. Which is <laughs> how you know you've gotten Martha. Yes. That moment where she looks over at Nick and says, he has a very firm body. Uh, George is paunchy. (laughs) (laughs) And the way she delivers lines in this movie is really hilarious. She really bellows it sometimes. You stay right at the meat of things. Or I don't even know what the fuck that saying means, but she says it about three times. Mm -hmm. Or George is bogged down in the history department. He's a real swamp in the history department. Hey, swampy. (laughs) (laughs) She's, yeah, I love those lines. I think uh, when she says, if you existed, I'd divorce you. Yeah, I love that. Fantastic <laughs> She's so ambitious and she has this powerful father and she thought she married this man and it just didn't end up the way she thought it would. My, my favorite line or one of them was... Um... There back and forth where she says, I will make the biggest explosion you ever heard. Yeah, well, maybe you're right. You can't come together with nothing and you're nothing. Snap. I looked at you tonight and you weren't there. Bonnie snapped. And and I'm going to howl it out. And I'm not going to give a damn what I do. And I'm going to make the biggest goddamn explosion you've ever heard. You try and I'll beat you at your own game. Is that a threat, George, huh? That's a threat, Martha. You're gonna get it, baby. Be careful, Martha. I'll rip you to pieces. You are not man enough. You haven't the guts. Total war? Total! (laughs) Holy shit, man. Like, these people (laughs) Just, like, declaring the worst intentions for each other or straight at each other's faces. Yeah. Now, is this... Is this just a normal Saturday night for George and Martha? I think so. Yeah. I bet they've gone through these couples, every new couple, just, you know, destroyed them all. I feel like this will be forgotten by next Friday night and... This this whole cycle will repeat itself, and maybe Martha will win next weekend. I don't know that she ever brings up the kid. The kid was probably yeah. the one line crossing, right? Yeah. Um, 
the other line that I wrote down of hers was, you're all flops. I am the Earth Mother, and you are all flops. That's definitely one of the classic queer lines from this movie. The one I quote all the time is, what a dumb. What's that from? It's from some goddamn Betty Davis picture. She comes home from a day at the grocery store, and she says, what a what dumb. A dump. And, and then George, I love the way George, one of his main tactics is uh, misinterpreting people purposely. He's like, mm-hmm. she works at the grocery store. No, she's shopping at the grocery store. He does that a lot with Nick, too, where um, Nick will be talking about Martha, and uh, George will say, oh, you're, no, you're, your wife, my wife is Martha. You're married to the other yeah. one. <laughs> yes. Um, can, can you explain the Bergen story to me of there's a kid in a restaurant and everyone's laughing at the kid because the kid ordered Bergen? Or I, I, I didn't really mm-hmm. understand what was going on there. Well, you see, there are a group of friends. And they all went out to a gin mill owned by the gangster father of one of us. He ordered Bergen. It's just a story he tells. And like half the stories he tells in this, you aren't sure if it's real or fake. And basically, I feel like it's implying that he is the boy who accidentally killed his mother and father, which we learn about later as the part of his novel. And I guess whether it's true or not really doesn't matter, but it really probably depends on the way the actor feels if it's true or not and the way it's directed. I I was going to say, well, I I understand why George ended up this way if he shot his mom and then swerved out of the way of a porcupine and killed mm-hmm. his dad in a car crash. That that would have a significant impact on one's mental health and well-being. Yeah. Or is he just telling this story to throw Nick off so Nick will tell him some damaging information about his wife's false pregnancy that he can use later as a tactic against them? That felt to me like what he was doing, because I read it very much like the, um, oh, the J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. When he's like acting all chummy and kind of like, hey, buddy, how are we doing? Like, tell me a little bit about your family and why are you here? And then uses everything against him. That's I I was very much reminded, like, uh, it seems like Chazelle could have pulled from this for uh, some of those interactions. I definitely get that from the text, but I do sort of feel like uh, Richard Burton is playing it as though it's true. And I sort of feel it's directed that way, too, especially later when Martha's telling about the novel and he physically attacks her. He, uh, that feels like he feels like this actually happened. And you're not going to tell everybody about it, lady. George driving is probably the scariest thing in this movie. <laughs> Next that line Martha when driving. he said, uh, it's not my fault. The road should have been straight. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great drunk driving line one of the classic drunk driving moments (laughs) (laughs) um so when they and then when they get to that um where do they it's like a restaurant or something with the dance floor it's like a roadhouse bar when uh when martha and nick are dancing i i I really made me laugh when she goes i like the way you move 
I like the way you move. And George goes, they like the way they move. <laughs> That's very good. I also love Honey in that scene. I dance like the wind. Yes, love. How are we going to work this? Mixed doubles? Well, you don't think I'm going to dance with you, do you? No, not with him around, that's for sure. Not with Twinkle Toes here, either. I'll dance with anyone. I'll dance by myself. Honey, you get sick again. I dance like the wind. All right, kiddies, choose up and hit the sack. Oh, my gosh. She's so great. Yeah, she's fantastic. I really want to know why this jukebox has the anvil chorus as one of the possible songs. Um, so th- that parking lot fight, I think the direction, especially when the violence happens and the camera goes handheld in this movie and the camera movement, the zoom and everything, it adds such like chaos and flurry and, and movement and motion to the violence it, I, I love it. And I'm really surprised to see it in a movie like this, which I I, I typically think of like a, a late 60s stage yeah. filmed theatrical movie to be more stationary camera and set up shots and theater, theater violence. And mm-hmm. the violence in this was surprisingly visceral. Yeah, I think it owes all of that to Mike Nichols, who stages all of this and creates this road ass scene and the outside stuff. I think he does. It's all great. That's, I feel like there's a lot of the um, fluidity of the camera work that even though each, each set very much feels like it could be a stage, like mm-hmm. he does a good job of weaving in and out through the, through the set. Also, the design of, uh, I, I love the roadhouse. I love the house. Mm-hmm. Um the only part where it really feels like limiting is actually to me is the, the front yard. Uh, but you spend so much time in close up when you're out yeah. there anyway, uh, that it's not too bad. There's uh, the monologue part. Yeah. They do use the outside really well later when Martha is looking for George, she's clinking around, <sighs> but she's sort of in I, I, between the trees. I like that long shot through the window looking down at her as she's just zigzagging drunkenly around the yard. Mm-hmm. Overall, like I, I this movie gets rip roaringly drunk. I, I think it's great <laughs> drunk acting. And I, I can just like smell the the bourbon and cigarettes like coming off these locations. Yeah. Apart from one actor in particular. That gets me to the third great <laughs> actor in this movie, which is uh, Martha Elizabeth yeah. Taylor. Oh, That's yeah. The, the only dud is uh, Nick. George Seagal. His drunk it's not even that he's a is dud. He's not even that he's a dud. It's just that, like, he's just so outclassed by some heavyweight hitters Absolutely. in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really his fault. It's a little um, bit. No, he doesn't. Fault. He's not very. Good. He doesn't stand out in a bad way at all. It's just his performance didn't leave me kind of stunned. I think his drunk acting stands out in a bad way a little. It's very like broad and false. I like when he's trying to like run away from George from the swing, and he's just like eating shit and just like crawling <laughs> on his hands and knees. Like yeah. these people are fucked up, man. <laughs> 
I was trying to find. Oh, uh, he was on Just Shoot Me. That's yeah. That's where I know him from. Yeah, Jack Gallo. Uh, yeah. I I remembered it was some sitcom from like the late nineties. Uh, but he's always an affable doofus. Like, which I think what reverse colors my viewing of him here. Sure. Um, because he's just kind of a goof, but Nick doesn't have the, the teeth to stand up to these people. Like his character does not have the spine to be a part of this. Yeah, exactly. No, baby. I don't don't think many people do have the spine to stand up to George and Martha. This is, I would be crushed by these people. Are you kidding me? Well, well, I would just never stay there. As soon as things started to get insane, I'm, like, I'm yeah. getting the fuck out of here. This is why I don't let anyone give me a ride anywhere, because I always need an escape plan. Yeah. Never go with a hippie to a second location. What is, um... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He went with a hippie to a second location. <laughs> did you go with a hippie to a second location? I did. Discord does this to me every once in a while. Um, what is Virginia Woolf? <laughs> not not the person, <laughs> but the song. I don't. What does it's, "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf" mean? It's "Who's Afraid of the Big Afraid bad. of the Big Bad Wolf." Yeah, and Albie has described it as "Who's Afraid of Living Your Life Without." the big bad wolf behind you who's afraid of looking your life at in its face and living it without all these illusions and stories that they tell each other and like if these people had to look at themselves realistically they would you know they'd be fucked i i see okay that that makes total sense man when george goes one more game at the end and it's like it's almost like in the Saw movies where you get this like final build up and it's like didn't didn't and like Jigsaw's like this is my master plan and like George is just going is dead. He was killed late in the afternoon on a country road with his learner's permit in his pocket. He swerved the car to avoid a porcupine and drove straight into a... You can't do that. Large tree. (laughs) Cannot do that. I thought you should know. No. No. You cannot do that. You can't decide these things for yourself. I will not let you do that. I have to leave around noon, I suppose. I will not let you decide these things. Because there are matters of identification. Oh, villain. At the end, with the whole story here about, and like, uh, the receiving the telegram and killing the kid, the imaginary kid. Yeah. And just, if he wanted to win the game, I, I guess he won. Um, but that, that really puts into context Elizabeth Taylor's last line of, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I am, George. I am. That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, ne- I never made the connection before between their parking lot speech where Martha is talking about how she's snapped and the like this isn't working anymore and she keeps saying snap 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 
And then when he returns with Snap the Dragons and he's throwing those at her, like, well, now I've snapped and so you're going down. Lady. That's, I was just going to ask about the, uh, the whole little flower scene with uh, Nick bringing those flowers in. <laughs> like, once again, he's just such an idiot. <laughs> like, I George brought the flowers. Does he? Yeah, doesn't he do Tennessee Williams? Flores de los Muertos from uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's when she's talking with Nick oh. that he brings <laughs> yeah. him in, yeah. Um, and he's, I love in that moment, there's like a calm before the storm at, there, at that moment. Yes. When they are teaming up against Nick before she finally reveals that they did actually have sex. And he decides to flip the switch and he's going to kill this kid that their dynamic really works and they team up against Nick, which is probably the most delicious part of the movie. Cause you're like, fuck this idiot. Oh God. When they're both on the same side and mm-hmm. that, that poor, poor dingus is, is on the <laughs> other side. That moment where George finds, um, Nick's scarf and when they're upstairs and he knows they're fucking and, mm-hmm. It's a, it's like a laugh of hilarity, which slowly morphs as he goes outside onto the porch, and like I guess once he's like out of earshot, morphs into that just mournful crying. And again, Richard Burton's like he plays the man goes through like well, I mean he and Elizabeth Taylor both they go through like every possible emotion. In this movie, and, jealousy. And Sandy Dennis does the same thing. Jealousy. I love her in that scene after that. Depression, rage, yeah. sexual longing, sadness. It's just like the works. This is like an actor's dream role is to yeah. play something as big as this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Sandy but, Dennis comes up to him after that, and she has sort of that vague monologue about how she was in a dark void. And then there are children everywhere and she doesn't want any children. I think she's the best at flipping on a dime from like, she's just having the best time to she's in the worst existential moment she's ever been in. And it's, oh, it's fantastic. It's just a bad trip for her. It's- yeah. And she gives George the idea of the kid. He's like, Oh, there was bells. Oh, someone rang. And she's really the cause of the whole thing. I like the way throughout the whole movie, he's, very quick to use her as a tool. Like he'll pull her up to dance and sing. Who's afraid of Virginia Wolf to get out of a moment. Uh, I'm going to try that next time. Someone's yelling at me or just like really (laughs) lighting into me. Just going to get up and start. Who's afraid of Virginia Wolf, Virginia Wolf, Virginia. (laughs) Well, listen, monkey nipples. (laughs) I love those, those things. That's what I'm surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was, what's the other one? Is, oh, angel boobs. Yeah, angel boobs. <laughs> Boy, howdy! That Elizabeth Taylor, she is a uh, bosomy woman. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. To not go sl- from not slim hipped, as you'd say. Um. I mean, how long was she like one of the A list? sex symbols uh you know the she played cleopatra i mean from like the 50s to the mid 80s and to do this role where she's like 
just such a. a but she's sh- supposed to be frumpy. Yeah, yes. the, the synopsis calls her a shrew, and I'm like, I'm not sure that's true. Those she did no. apparently gain 25 pounds for the role. That's, that's I was ridiculous. I was gonna go with shrew. She's not a shrew. She's too forceful to be a shrew. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she's like uh, she's a failed Lady Macbeth, really. If she's gonna be any Shakespeare character. Oh, I like that. That's it goes along with um, what does she say? Because uh, he says something about it's it's not all cakes and pies being married to the daughter of the president of the college or whatever. And she's like, for some minute, would have been the chance of a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what she wants. She wants to turn him into the president. Yeah. Because she can't do it herself. Because she's a woman. Um, she had ambition and she's punished for it. Did you notice at the bar um, that there are signs, there are several signs for uh, squirt and vodka? I did see that, yeah. <laughs> That sounds pretty good, actually. I think about yeah, it, like the, the, the citric acid okay. nature of squirt. Yeah. I didn't realize squirt was that old, I guess. Is squirt still around? I don't think so, but it feels like an 80s product. No, it's yeah, still Yeah, it really does. You can get squirt. Is it? Somewhere. I guess you can. Okay, you wait, I'm Googling... I'm Googling squirt, guys. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I've made um, a horrible mistake. <laughs> I think they only sell it to stepmom, so maybe search for that. Okay. Yes. Oh, my God. No, it is straight up porn on the first page when you search squirt. Of course it is. Search, search squirt and vodka. There we go. Ooh. Whether you're serving a squirt poolside or enjoying a yummy squirt mixer. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Uh, it's a guaranteed <laughs> good time. Wow. I didn't know it still existed. Oh, my God. Too much acid in a squirt. Uh, what about a starry? Have you had a starry? No, because I... No. It's bullshit. Sierra Mist. No, it's good. It's Sierra Mist. Sierra Mist is good. Uh, Sierra Mist has been discontinued. Sierra Mist is now starry. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Is that what what they did? Yeah, that's what they did. That's that's Pepsi's new drink. They pulled the sugar wool right over your eyes. They really did. They got me. They got you, man. You want to try a new product and it's not even new. I'll have to go back to Coke and their weird products. At least they're honest about it. Yeah. What do you drink? I like a uh I liked the Coke Starlight. That one was pretty good. What? Josh. <laughs> you, you don't like tell space. me you, you sat there cleaning your kitchen with Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf on your iPad doing dishes <laughs> drinking a Coke Starlight. Don't tell me that's what you did. Well, no, because they've discontinued the Coke Starlight. It's only for like a, a three or four months or something. Whenever the new, and then the they next move on. season of The Boys comes out. Yes, pretty much. It's all based around it's boys centric advertising. Man, that show. I've soured on the boys. I've soured. I just cannot too, be interested. Too Even much a centric? parody of superheroes. Citrus? I don't. It was a fun parody of superheroes in like the first season or two, but now it's mm. just become 
a superhero show. And it's like, no, this is why I was not watching this. Like, <laughs> I guess, what's that old saying? It's like, if you survive long enough, you live to become the villain or monster that you yeah, fought against, yeah. or whatever the fuck that old idiom is. Mm-hmm. Speaking of old idioms... You married me for it. That's one of my favorite lines, when they're fighting and George is complaining about her, was attacking him. He says, you married me for it. They really are two swords, they're just sharpening each other against... Um, so much like the, the imaginary kid can be confusing, uh, Nick and Martha actually knocking boots was because they go back and forth and back and forth with the euphemisms of, uh, did they do it or not? And I forgot where it left off because George seems pissed either way. (laughs) Like I don't I don't think he does. No? Well they're teaming up until the moment when I can't remember the exact exchange, but basically Martha hanging your head and she says they did actually screw or whatever. It was just bad. And that's when he decides, okay, he's going through with his plan. She yeah, she she berates him moment. at some point for his bad performance and Nick says it's because he's yeah. wasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I for a, for a minute I did have the question of did they actually or did they not? But I'm I'm pretty sure they yeah. did. Yeah, it's part thought... of the the show I never really realized before is that at the end of the movie, George is saying that the reason he's doing all this is that she brought the kid up, but clearly he doesn't decide to do it until he learns that final piece. So maybe she's never he's never made it all the way with anybody before. Maybe Nick really does have the most goods. Well, I thought he was a flop, personally. But yeah. Well, you're the Earth Mother. You think they're all flops. <laughs> I like that this movie ends, and then it says, exit music, as it plays the music. Yeah, where it's like, it's like, movie's over. Get your ass out of the theater. What are you still doing here? <laughs> Leave now. I'm like, all right, movie, jeez. That's what you needed from Gaspar Noe, so you wouldn't just sit in silence. You needed something to walk you out of the movie. Needed someone to walk me out of that movie 35 minutes into it. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry, Gaspar. Come on the show. Yeah. Someone someone tag him on Twitter, please. Someone, I bet he would pick someone that please bird. promote our show on Twitter and book some cool guests on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> someone do all that, please. Russell? I'm not on Twitter. Good for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's probably for the best. Yeah. I'm on the other things. They're all the same. So, shall we... But the discourse, Russell, the discourse. We got anything... I have plenty of discourse on Discord. We got anything left for this one? I have a couple things. Please, go. So, I was was reading about the whole what does Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf mean and about basing yourself. And, like, this was Albie's sort of reaction to the 60s when basically 
like all kings and gods were dead now and people were having to sort of look at themselves for what was meaningful and what life meant and they were sort of coming up short and so they were creating all these fantasies for themselves and these loops to live in i think this is a um really good uh death of <laughs> the uh how do you say a certain portion of the american dream like yeah the the this is a deconstruction of the american nuclear family we're killing off the kids we're having an abortion the husband and wife the wife's getting drunk and dancing like the wind and mhm uh and your elders who you're supposed to respect and are supposed to lead the way for you are mm-hmm. no better off than you are they're yeah. if anything they're more fucked up and uh they're they're bitter about the path that they've chosen Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, I just turned it back on, and there's so many good close-ups in this. Oh, you're back on squirt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good one. Shit. That's that one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great-looking movie. I love that it's in black and white. Yeah. We haven't even discussed the fact that this is one of, I think, three movies where every actor in it was nominated for an Academy Award. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What What are the other two? The other one is Sleuth, which has two actors who are nominated for Best Actor and Best yeah. Supporting, probably. Okay. And I think the last one was the movie I keep trying to get off of Eli's uh, Lex, uh, Give Him Hell, Harry. Which is not really a movie, it's a recording of a one-man stage show about a man who plays... Oh! Uh, uh, I've totally lost it. It's not Harry Houdini. It's Harry Truman, the president. Harry Truman, Harry S. Truman. Yes, thank you. From uh, Give Him Hell, Harry, from 1975? Yes. Starring James Whitmore. Okay. Yep. This is also, I think, one of the only two movies, at least at the time, to win or be nominated for Academy Award for every possible category. Really? Yeah, for which it was eligible. This was also, I think, the last year of Best Black and White Cinematography and Best Color Cinematography. And I'm pretty sure it won Best Black and White. I mean, how much of a difference would it have been if this was in color? I think it would have been a huge difference. Yeah. I don't think it would work as well. No, there's something... I think even at the time, like, um, it was kind of a throwback to to do it. And, I mean, as evidenced by the fact that it was the last year that they had that as a category. Right. <laughs> that they were, like, this is the tail end. Uh, but the cinematography was by Haskell Wexler, um, who, you know, has... One, um, I know he won like lifetime achievement, um, awards. I don't remember if he won for anything specific, but, um, he also did, um, medium cool where he, where he directed about the, um, uh, was it the democratic national convention? It sounds familiar. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it for a long time, but, um, but yeah, he did American Graffiti. 
In the Heat of the Night, Thomas Crown Affair. Wow. Everything. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yep. There you go. All the way up to Silver City? It's a John Sayles movie. It's not bad. Yeah, I feel like the black and white positions it as a quote-unquote serious movie. And then mm -hmm. that lets you further uh, subvert things by being a weird theatrical melodrama. But also, I don't remember what else of note would have come out. uh, But the other thing that comes to mind is just a couple years earlier, Hitchcock choosing to go black and white with Psycho. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that both of them are presenting like uh, some nature of violence on screen. And it feels like they're using the black and white to kind of um, get you to go along for the ride. Sure. And then still really disturbing you with the content. (laughs) Mm hmm. I'm out of thoughts. So that that was all your thoughts, Sean. Let me see. Every last one that was in my brain. Uh, I had, they've made a cuckold of George, which is just (laughs) a line that I was proud of. Um, uh, when I think when he's, when someone is, they're flinging each other around. Uh, I didn't like that. It was upsetting. Yep. Oh, Sean, rate the bar. How, how was the roadhouse? It's confusing. As far as, uh, Did they find uh, uh, an abandoned bar and just go in there anyways? And just very, uh, as very. No, it was just at the end of the day, night. Yeah. So they were the last people there. But where was the staff? But that's like four o'clock in the morning. It was the old man and his wife were the only ones still there. The actual bar, you can see as Martha and George go to leave, they go into the other room that you barely see, and there's a bar in there. This is like the dance floor. Oh, gotcha. Well, sorry, Josh, I didn't see the bar. I only saw the dance floor. Okay, Didn't log it in my brain. I always forget you're going to ask me about about those things. (laughs) It's always like, oh, what do you think of the bar and blowout? I was like, that... The one in, that was in the background for a second and a half? I didn't clock it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was a terminal bar. Like, it's at the train station, and I think it's called Terminal Bar. It's great. It's got neon. That really sounds cool. fun. Sorry. <laughs> they should have shown yeah. that in the movie. <laughs> they should have shot the whole movie. There you go. They should set, like, a sitcom at a bar. I think that would be really good. Because then, like, you could just have characters coming in and out willy-nilly. Yeah. Is that one of the characters? Yeah, he comes out. Yeah, willy-nilly. In a late season. <laughs> willy-nilly yeah. comes out, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a whole episode. It would have been uh, probably during Sweeps Week. Yeah. You could have a Niles Crane-type character that comes and goes. Someone like Niles Crane. Yeah. But... Sort of like him. Yeah, slightly taller and straight. A little more punchable. Yeah. Yeah. Niles Crane seems pretty punchable to me. Mm. But as punchable. Yeah. Frasier's I've never actually seen a single episode of Frasier, and I only watched season one of Cheers, so I don't know those characters. On both counts. Hey, at least you saw Shelley Long. 
for a mm. short time. She's re- she's very funny. When does she leave Cheers? Maybe season. Oh, she's on for a long four time. Four or five. Okay. I should get back into it. I used to watch it with my ex back in the day. It was fun. I watched oh. the top 20 episodes or so over Christmas. I always pick some old sitcom to watch before bed. Like the best episodes of it. That was nice. mine this year. It was okay. Wait, how do you pick the best episodes? Like, I just you go find like a, a listicle? Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I just start at the beginning. Like... I'll be like, okay, we're going to go through all of the Golden Girls. Uh, you can do that with the Golden Girls, but you can't do that with Cheers. Or the Dick Van Dyke Show. As good as it is, not every episode is worth watching. Okay, that's, we're going to have to have words regarding <laughs> re-Mr. Van Dyke. <laughs> you can and watch his, his brother program. comes back as many times as you want. <laughs> the top 20 episodes, though, great. All right, Sean's got no more thoughts. We're talking sitcoms. We're all over the place now. Yeah. We should we should rate this thing. Four. Four out of five. I would maybe tend towards a four and a half, but four. Respectable. Russell, what would you do? I think I have this as a five on Letterboxd. I could see it. It's maybe a four and a half just because of George Seagal being a slightly weird wink link, but I don't know. It's just a great movie. Five heart. Classic. Yeah. It wasn't my favorite movies at some point, but I don't know if it's still. Oh, in your top four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've got to go four and a half in a star. It, it, it actually gets me a little emotional. Uh, towards the end, like because you've been th- through so much with these people, um, yeah. and when Martha is kind of having her her breakdown, it gets to me a little bit. Um, yeah, which it did not when I first watched it, like fifteen year- years ago or whatever. Um, I I think I wasn't as disturbed or as involved with the uh, emotions of it as I was this time. Yeah. Wow. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> You're more yeah. disturbed. Yeah. Now. Disturbed. I got it. I was there. Mm-hmm. You were laughing, so I had to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I like how uh when I make a joke and it falls flat, it's my fault. But when you make a joke <laughs> and it falls flat, it's my fault. <laughs> You get the show. It's consistent. <laughs> it's only taken us like two years, but you understand <laughs> the concept of the show. That's the dynamic. I get I'm, it now. You're the Schlemiel. I'm the Schlemazel. Oh, who's the Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated? Me. He has all 57 ingredients. <sighs> Josh. I know. Why did you make that joke? Um, can I, can I make a decree that we do something fun next episode? Because our show's been really depressing lately. Like, I know it was like kind of a tough winter and I'm, I'm definitely like coming out of my winter depression and watching Vortex today. I was just like, oh, fuck me. (laughs) 
What happened to like when we used to watch Twister and Con Air on the show? <laughs> Bring back Virginia and Steven. You guys got to do 90s month. So That's, can we uh, can yeah. we do something fun next episode? Yeah, let's pick something light okay. and. Uh, Are we ever going to talk airy. about The Godfather, or did I watch that movie and take notes for no reason? Well, I haven't seen it. No, one. you guys should do it, and then I have an excuse to. Okay, yeah, we'll do it in a couple of weeks, or I think uh, towards the end of this month is when um, Grant is done with his play. Hmm. Okay, which. We should maybe go see Russell. The something in the Starcatcher? Peter in the Starcatcher? Uh, yeah, there you go. I've, I've heard of it. I've no It seems interesting. Yeah. yeah I guess Grant is the titular Starcatcher? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I just know it's sort I don't of related e- to Peter Pan. <gasps> Mr. Ah. Smee is a character. Okay. Yeah. Wrap it up, Josh. Okay. Well, uh, we're not quite sure what we will be presenting you with in approximately two weeks. I mean, we have like four or six weeks planned for The Godfather and uh, Parasite, which I think is going to be a fun double bill to talk about. Not not really uplifting, though. So we're going to have to find something in betwixt to have fun with. Uh, but... All that said, I would like to thank Sean and especially Russell for uh, putting up with the shenanigans this evening. Thanks thank for, for being our first, our first three timer. I appreciate yeah. that, Sean. Thank you for being the first. Uh, I don't know, fifty timer, thirty, ti- however <laughs> the hell. No, we're in the uh, eighty. No, we're we have like eighty six movies now or something. So this must uh, be episode so forty something. Yeah, that okay. sounds right. Yeah. All right. So right, right in between. Okay. Uh, so with all that said, we love you all. Take care of yourselves. Be kind to each other. Be kind to yourselves. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Stop. You did it.